Our sermon for this morning is based on 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with the integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent, and now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. This is the word of the Lord. All David wanted to do was build a temple. I want this morning for you to think about those times in which you have felt least appreciated. Don't make eye contact with your spouse. (laughs) I want you to think of those times. Maybe they're the big things. Maybe they're the small things. Maybe it's as small as, as the floor was clean and about three minutes later the kids came in and, and tracked dirt all over that, that freshly clean floor. Maybe you worked a little overtime and it seems like nobody at work noticed that overtime or maybe nobody at home noticed that you were working overtime. Or maybe it's a little bigger. Did you pay for your kids' college and not get a thanks? Did you do something for your family, a sacrifice from yourself, giving up something that you really, really wanted for your family, and you didn't get a thanks, and it seemed like nobody noticed? Those those feelings of being unseen and unthanked come about quite a bit in our lives. And they very easily could have come about in David's life today. 
Because all the guy wanted to do was build God a temple. We go back a few chapters, back in 1 Chronicles, and we see where this idea came from. David looked around and he said, how is this right? How am I living in a palace full of gold and silver and bronze and a, and a wooden structure and God himself has to live in a tent? The Ark of the Covenant was residing in the tabernacle, a tent at that time. And if we know anything about Old Testament history, we know that the way that God revealed his presence to the people was the Ark of the Covenant was always with them, showing them that God's presence were always with them. And David looks around and he says, how on earth do I get this beautiful temple, palace, and how is God stuck in a tent? And so he he brings this idea to God. He says, God, I would like to build you a temple. And God says, yes, a temple is going to be built and I would love the stuff that you have for me to build it, but you're not going to be the one to build it. You see, David was a warrior. He had led Israel in all sorts of battle. He had gone to battle with and for God for the good and glory of that kingdom. He had served God every step of the way, but he had blood on his hands. And because he had blood on his hands, God says, you know what, David? You are not to be the guy that's going to build my temple. I want it to be your son, Solomon. You can imagine David being just a little bit frustrated by that. Because this was going to be a grand project. This was going to bring fame and notoriety. This was going to be huge. It was going to be opulent. It was going to be beautiful. It was going to be remembered. And God says, yeah, David, you can help out. But you're not going to be in charge of it. We now know it not as David's temple, but as King Solomon's temple. David, you get to help, but you're not getting the credit. And you can imagine maybe, maybe David felt like he was qualified for the job. Let's take a look at David's resume. David goes all the way back to when he was a shepherd boy, and God graciously called him out of being a shepherd boy, calls him up, sends him out to fight up against a giant for his people, wins it by the grace of God, then goes on the run because the king wants to kill him. And in an act of grace, God makes David king, and now as David is king, Israel is prospering. Everything is going well spiritually and financially. The kingdom is secure under David. Jerusalem has been established as this capital city of God's kingdom under David. David was the right man for the job to lead and to undertake this building project. And anybody that would say otherwise would be a fool. But that's not the attitude that David had, was it? David saw that God had placed him in a very specific place for a very specific purpose in time. He had said, no, David, you can't do it, but I want your son Solomon to do it. And he doesn't have what it takes. And instead of being frustrated, instead of being angry at God, instead of wanting the credit for himself, David says, I don't care how, how you want me to serve God, just please 
let me serve. And so that's just what he does. And we heard that list of things that David had given out of his own treasury. Gold, silver, bronze, wood, stones, precious, precious stones. And maybe as you listen to David talk about all of the things that he had given, you go, okay, David, easy now, buddy. Don't get too big of a head. But clearly that is, that's not even sort of what's on the mind of David at this time. David is not out there trying to make a great name for himself. He's not trying to gain attention. He simply wants to give out of the things that God had so richly and generously given to him. And that's where we pick it up in our reading for today. God, or David is praying before the Israelites blessings and praises and honor on God. And that's what we see. It says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. That's quite the description of God. It's a very full, full description of who God is and what he does in our world. Based on that description, David knew exactly who God was. God was the one who gives. God was the one who saves. God is the one who forgives. God is the one who owns every single thing that David sees in front of him that day. And who is David? Well, we missed some things in the resume, didn't we? We missed that part where he took another man's wife for himself. And then he impregnated her and compounded the mistake of sending her, her husband off to die. And then in those moments where you think, okay, David, now it's time to confess, it's time to confess. David stood obstinate in his sin until the prophet Nathan, on behalf of the Lord, came to David and said, it's time to repent. Yes, David looked in the mirror. David knew exactly who the Lord was dealing with. David knew that he was a sinner. That he wasn't worthy of all the things that he had. He wasn't worthy of the love that God had shown to him. And he wasn't worthy of anything, any task that the Lord might give to him. And yet here David is. With all the blessings in the world. With all the forgiveness one could ask for. Saying, all right, God, you've given this all to me, and it's time for me to give it all back to you. Would we be so comfortable making the same decision ourselves? Would, would we be able to look at this massive wealth and not at a little bit think that, that it's ours and ours alone? That we had worked so hard for it? Could we be like David, or would that four-letter sneaky word creep its way into our vocabulary? Mine. That Honda Accord outside? That's mine. These shoes, this jacket, these pants that make me look so nice? Mine. 
the place I'm about to go to after church, I'm about to go to my home. The rest of this afternoon is mine. My decisions, my life, my future. Mine, mine, mine. Does that sneak into our vocabulary a little bit? You know, there is one thing that we actually can claim as ours. There's one thing where we can look at God and say, all right, you didn't have a single hand in this. This one actually is all mine. And it's our sin. God has given to us every good thing that we have in our life, and the only thing that we are bringing to the table is our sin. It's enough to to make us feel about this big. When we look at the greatness and the majesty of God and his love and compassion for sinners, we realize that we have to count ourselves in that number. That number of sinners who, who find it difficult to give to God sometimes. Who find it difficult to give of ourselves in a way that lessens ourselves. David prays in Psalm 24. The same King David, he says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Our God owns everything. And it's that same God that looks at your life and gives to you everything you need, oftentimes without even asking for it. Who knows your wants and your desires and the needs that are in your life before you could even bring them to him. It's the same God who lovingly and and freely forgives all of your sins of, of selfishness, all of our sins of greed and pride. That same God who owns everything in this world says, you are my forgiven child. And now accompanying with all of all of that, I am giving you blessing after blessing after blessing. The spiritual blessings, and yes, those physical blessings, my house, my car, my suit, my everything, comes from the hand of God who loves me enough to give it to me. Who am I that I deserve these these blessings? I'm no one. But I know who my God is. My God is the one who freely gave his son to save me. And promises that because he is my God, my Lord, my creator, and my savior, he will give me every good thing I need in this life and all of those things that I need in death for eternity. We find ourselves kind of in the same place David does in verse 14 when he says, Who am I? Who am I, Lord? Why would you give someone like me all of these things? Why would you bless me with riches? Why would you give me security? Why would you give me hope? David was astounded by two things. First, he could not believe that God would give him these things. And then on top of him giving him those blessings, God would allow David to use them in his kingdom. David saw it as nothing less than a privilege to be able to take the blessings of God and turn them right around and give them back to him. The second thing that astounded David 
was he looked around at the people around him and he saw a heart of giving. Of giving back to God the things that they had gotten. He looked at the people of Israel and he was astounded. Not by dollars and cents. It's not like we see a bunch of numbers in here of things that the people of Israel was giving. Instead, we see David as extremely thankful for the attitude of the people. That their attitude was one not of mine, 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 but that their attitude recognized that everything they had came from the hand of God and they wanted nothing more. It was their pure joy in life to use those things to serve God. The story, when I first read it, sort of reminded me of another story back in Genesis. Kind of juxtaposes with this one. Tower of Babel. For those of us that maybe need a quick refresher, it's when a bunch of people banded together and decided they were going to put up a tower and their motivation was, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves versus who am I? Which one are we? Do we spend every single moment trying to make a name for ourselves in this world, trying to do something that's going to stick and that's going to last and that people are going to remember us by? Or do we just say, who am I, God, that you would allow me to serve you in this kingdom? Who am I that you would give me this many blessings? Who am I that you would save me? No, brothers and sisters, we don't need to go out and make a name for ourselves. Because God, who is the only one that gives out the names that matter, that same God has already given you a name. My adopted child. And when we have that name, we need nothing more. We clamor for nothing more. We strive for nothing more because my adopted child is the best name that we could possibly own on this planet. We are truly God's adopted children, bought back with the blood of Jesus, brought back to serve him. These last, what is it now, nine weeks? I've been doing every member visits. I've gotten a chance to sit with, with quite a few of you in your homes or at coffee shops over, over a lunch. And I can't help but praying the same prayer that David prayed. David prays. He says, Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever. David's praying for you. He's praying for this church, for these people today, right now, that, his, that God's people would never lose that un, unbelievable desire to serve him with the things that they have. David is praying that that day, the following day, and all of God's people to come would always see serving God as the greatest privilege that we have in life. And that's one of the things that I got to see during those every member visits. That I've gotten to see people that, that love the church, that love their Savior, that love their community, 
People that want nothing more, that have all sorts of energy, that is, it's almost like it's pent up and they want to find a way to let it out. Energy that seeks to love and to serve God and his people. Brothers and sisters, my prayer is the exact same one as David's. May that never, ever change. Today, tomorrow, or for God's people in eternity. So I said we were going to answer the question, does God really need you? Does he need you? Does he need you to repay him with the things that he's given to you so graciously out of his hand? I suppose if he wanted to grant faith to people in this world, he could just kind of point his finger and zap it into them. He doesn't necessarily need somebody to bring that person the word. If God really wanted to, he could supply needs for the needs of all of the people around us without using us by his gracious and almighty power as we saw him giving manna and quail to the Israelites in the deserts. He could do that if he wanted to. Does God really need you? I heard it said one time, God doesn't really need us, but God chooses to need us. God chooses to need you, each and every one of you. And no, maybe you don't have the gold or the silver or the the precious stones of various colors, but you have other things. You have time, you have treasures, you have talents. You have a love for people. You have a heart that breaks when you see somebody down in the dumps. You have a desire to go out and reach more people with the gospel of Jesus. You have organizational skills. Each and every one of us could look at ourselves, assess the spiritual gifts that God has given to us, and say, yes, I have been given something by God that I can definitely give back to him. So who am I? Well, without God, that question is quite terrifying, isn't it? But with Jesus, that question has been completely reshaped. Who am I to deserve all these blessings from God? I'm his child. I'm his child who God loves just as a father would love a child today. Not wanting to withhold anything from him or her. I find myself reading this text and looking at God and saying, who am I, God? And how am I so blessed to serve a loving God like you? Amen.